it's just called Lost in Translation Part 2, but it's called Shaken, the title. Shaken, being shaken by God is not a crisis, it's an opportunity for a new beginning. And so let me get right into the text, because I'm just going to pick up where I left off last week. I briefly will review, um, yeah, let's just get into it. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 8. If we get this, I say get this, I'm talking to myself as well, but what I want to say this morning is part two of what I preached last week. If we really fully understand it and apprehend it and allow God to do what God wants to do in our lives, there, are, there will always be, don't really think there's only one moment you have a radically transformed life. You have that when you first get saved, but there ought to be moments in our life that God continually radically changes our life. But a lot of times it's not. People will look to their life and they'll say, I remember one moment, one time I got saved and was radically changed. And from that time on, I went on. But Isaiah is going to have an experience with God when I use the word shaken. Last week I used the word God quake. And I talked about God's glory. It talks about the word God's glory. The word means weight. The weight of God coming into a person's life shakes everything in someone's life. And when his life is shaken, everything about his life is totally rearranged. When God comes into our life and we allow God to be God and the weight of God, who he is, comes steps into our life, he will radically change our life. He will rearrange, if you allow God to be God, he will rearrange your priority, he will rearrange your calling, he will rearrange what you think is important. Everything in your life, I use the word shatter, I'll use it this morning, God shatters that, and, but that's okay because in God we're okay. If my life meets God and it's rearranged for God's glory, I think we're going to be okay. And if your life is rearranged for God and his glory, you're going to be fine too. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be something that there will be times that you will struggle. At times it will be very difficult. But at the end of the day, this is a good thing that you and I would allow God and his glory and who he is to step into our life and rearrange our life completely. Isaiah is a preacher. But he encounters God. And God radically changes his life. There's things he says he's never said before. There's things you will say in presence of God that you will never say unless you get in God's presence. There are dedications you will make to God you may never make unless you get in God's presence. You say, Pastor, why aren't people radically changed even in the church? Why? Do people live the way they live? Why do they not have the right priorities in life? Why do God is just a part, not just number one. He's just a part in their life. He just added to it. Why is that? They've never been shaken. You know, the saddest things, every pastor says this, and I, it's true. Pastors talk about it not very often. But a lot of the pastors have been talking about Jesus returning. And one of the sad things every, every time I hear that statement made by a pastor or myself or when the guy is preaching is every pastor knows that when he preaches Sunday morning, there's people listening to him that will be left behind. There's people in this church right now, you will be left behind. That's the reality of it. But we don't, want to get, we don't want to get that real. That's so, why it's so, so quiet, Bill. <laughs> what do I do? You need to allow God to shake you. Let's read the text. And if you are left behind, take care of my dogs. <laughs> and my wife's new cat. And take care of this church. You can have a nice church. <laughs> no one be here, but you have a nice church. I told that to actually to a guy once. I said, listen, he said, well, I'm not going. I said, well, okay, no problem. You're not going to go. He said, it's not going to be that bad. It's going to be a lot worse than you think. I said, but since you're so dedicated on staying here, take care of my house. Please get water the plants. <laughs> Isaiah 6, he says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting high and lofty on the high and lofty throne. And the bottom of his robe filled the temple, and the angels were standing above him. Each had six wings, and they covered their faces and the two covered their feet, and the two 
they flew. Verse 3, they called to each other saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the foundations of the doorpost and the temple was filled with smoke. So I said, oh no, I am doomed. Every word that passes through my lips is sinful. I live among people with sinful lips. I have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Then one of the angels flew to me, and in his hand was a burning coal that he had taken from the altar of the tongues. He touched my mouth, and he said, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away. Your sin has been forgiven. Verse 8, then, that's very important. Then he heard God talking, the Trinity talking, who will go for us? God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Ghost talking about lost mankind. He says, who will go for us? He happens to dip in to hear the conversation in heaven when he's forgiven. When he dealt with the sin in his life, he can hear from God. I can't hear from God, Pastor. Maybe you need to deal with the sin in your life. And then he heard God's voice. That's just for free. Ain't that good? Verse 8, then then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. So last week, we talked about, I kind of reset it. We we talked about God coming in people's lives. We talked about God's glory last week. I called it a God shake. And I said, before this happens, for a lot of people, they, they know God, they know about God, they have beliefs about God, they have concepts about God. But for a lot of people, God, even as Christians, they meet God dramatically and kind of drift away, becomes a concept, becomes just a belief system to the point where he's just fitting into their life. There's not like priority. No, it's just kind of fits into their what they got going. He just they put him to ease and he's an addition to their life. But in a God quake, when God comes into our life as a quake and he shakes us, then like he does in our scripture, he rearranges everything. And, and you not only does he rearrange everything, something happens in your own heart that you allow God to rearrange your life. You allow God to contradict you. You allow God to change your mind. You allow God to change your beliefs. You allow God to come into your life and make these changes. And a lot of people won't, but you will do that. You say, oh, you know what? God's come. His glory has entered my life. And you know what? He's rearranged everything. And I'm cool with that. If you serve a God who can't contradict you, if you serve a God that you can't change your mind for, it's probably just the God you created. Because the God of the Bible, he has his will, he has his purpose. And he doesn't check in with me when he's running the universe. And he doesn't check in with you. And so, you might be set on something. You may want something, but because God has entered your life, you allow God to change your mind. So you know what? Pastor James, like it's a funny example, Thursday he's gonna, he came to preach, right? Some of you weren't here. You should have been here. Okay. But anyway, you weren't here, but you're here now, so bless the Lord. So James, you know, he's a, he's a Warriors fan. It's okay. God still loves him. But he's a Warriors fan, and it was the first night of the NBA Finals. And I didn't know he was a Warriors fan. He came, and he said, I was thinking about just canceling because I really want to see the game, and my team's playing. At least he's being honest. See, you may believe that, but you won't say it. You say, oh, I want to be there. But you won't be here, but you won't tell me why. <laughs> so that's the difference. So James says, man, I really wanted to watch the game, Kerry. I thought about calling you and saying, Kerry, I can't be there. But then I thought, you know what? God, I can't be like that. Listen, listen to me. He's a pastor, been preaching 30, 40 years. I love it, Pastor James. Is he says this. He said, I said, no, God got to hold me care. I said, there's no way I could do that. What, what kind of Christian am I? What, how, what kind of friend am I do that to you? So I came, and he said, I don't have no idea what the score is. I know I shouldn't have did this. After the service was over, we were driving home. He, 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 I forgot all about the game, so did he. When you get caught up in God's glory, you, you forget about all those things, honestly. And it comes back to you, and you get out there, you're reminded, obviously. So I said I said, the game. He said, oh, yeah, the game. How much time is left? I said, I think, I think the game's over or they won or something. He said, the Warriors won. I said, well, they're winning. I think they're up by 12 points. And I was being honest. I said, yeah, they won. He said, oh, man, my team, my team, they won. Oh, man, praise God. Glory to God, Kerry. And I said, well, it's not over yet. I mean, it's got five minutes left. He said, oh, no. 
Oh, no, no, no. So we get home, and we're eating Sharon's food. Thank you, Sharon. And so Sharon made a bunch of food for us. We sit down to eat Sharon's food from uh, Tobago. <laughs> so, well, not Tobago. Where is it from? Trinidad. Same thing, right? Anyway, it starts with a T. Uh, but anyway, Trinidad. So we sit down to eat, and he's watching. We've got a few minutes left of the game, and they lose. He said, oh, my God, they lose. And I said, Jane, I'm not going to rub it in. You're a Warriors fan, so, you know, I feel, I feel for you. I feel for you. I, I know. But the point, the point I'm making is that he, you know, there are a lot of people that something that they really love would move God out very fast. People have been serving God for a long period of time who still have a dedication to God, like Mike and Yolanda, that's why they're coming tonight. Someone like James, those are people you need to admire. You allow God to enter, you allow God to shake, rearrange your entire life, and it's okay. That's what I talked about last week. You listen to that sermon. Here we go from here. Self is shaken. Point two. Shaken just simply means a trembling, a shake. Shake means staggered, to disturb deeply. And what I'm talking about is that God is no longer a concept, but there comes into our life. It's a shaking of self. I call it a self-quake here. Self is shaken. And in our story of Isaiah, he is shaken. His self is shaken. And he experiences something that I think every one of us need to experience. If we, if we really are shaken, I think we will have this experience also. Because I want you to notice in the text, there is radical, not just humility, there is radical humility. He says these words. He has an encounter with God. Verse 5, he says, woe to me. Woe was pronouncing a curse on someone. Woe is a word of curse. You would, woe is, was a word of warning. It was something you didn't say. He says, woe is me. He says, he's pronouncing a curse on himself. He says, I don't deserve to live. Then he says, I am ruined. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I, love, I live among people with unclean lips. The, I think the Living Bible says, then he said, it is all over for me. I am doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live among people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the king of glory. Now the version says, then I cried out, Isaiah, I'm doomed. Everything I say is sinful. And the words of everyone around me are sinful. What's happening here? He gets into God's presence. And when you compare yourself to God's presence, you're in God's presence in his holiness. You know you're nothing. He said, I seen the king of glory. He gets in God's presence. His self is shaken. He's, he's like, I, I'm, I'm with God. Now, you and I can't relate to this, but I'm going to tell you, when you get in God's presence, you don't think how great, how, how great you are and how good you are. You think how unclean you are. He's in God's presence. And, and comparing God and his holiness to himself he says, well, I'm, I'm doomed. It, it is over, game over here. Radical humility. When he just, he's comparing himself to God, he can't help but say that. That's all that could come out of his mouth. He's beyond nothing. He, he's brought low. He's humbled, to say the least. And the truth is, when any one of us see ourselves correctly, you listen to me, when you see yourself correctly, you won't be self-righteous. You won't be full of pride because you have nothing to be proud of. Against God and who God is and his holiness and his love and his mercy. You see, I don't deserve to live. God, you've been so good. You know what? I am nothing. I am beyond nothing. Remember, he's a prophet. He's humbled. You know, they say singers, actors, they say people come to L.A. There's two places a lot of people come to. They say it's L.A. and in New York, you know, people go to L.A. They come from towns all over the world, actors, singers, models. And, you know, there's, there's people that sing in, in a, you know, they, they live in a town, a small little town called Dripping Springs. I don't know. But they live in a small town somewhere, and they're a good singer in that small town. They're the best in that small town. Then they move to L.A. to become a singer. And they go to an audition, hear other people singing. And they realize, I'm not that good of a singer. They're like, wow, that's a singer. They're brought low. They're among, 
They feel like I'm among I'm unclean lips myself. You know, they, they, that way, that way they compare themselves and they are, you know what, they're brought, you know what, you're not nearly as good as you think you are. You, you, a person can think they're, they're, they're beautiful. There's women who move from all over the world to come to L.A. It's called the City of Dreamers to be an actress, a model. They think they're beautiful. They go, listen, in that little city that they're at where they're, they're, they are beautiful, they get to L.A., dummy, you should never move there. There's a bunch of women. There's a thousand women that are more beautiful than you. There's, there's actors. My friend told me the other day, he said, in acting in Hollywood during the pandemic, I knew this much, 250,000 people involved in the entertainment industry lost their jobs. But he says, acting full-time, only 1% ever do it. 1%, 99% never act full-time, even though that's all they want to do. Because you're amongst the hundreds and thousands of people that are faster, smarter, better looking than you, better actors, everyone. You're brought low. You're, you're, they said people are humble. Not only are humble, they're embarrassed. They're brought low. They're, they're humiliated. A lot of them just take their lives. You know, so here you think about comparison. That's not the best, but here he is. Here's Isaiah. Tradition says this. He comes from a royal family. Jewish tradition says his father was brother to the king. Therefore, he's one of the elites. We know from the book of Isaiah, he was a man of artistic and intellectual and communicative genius. Because you think about it, he wrote the book of Isaiah. And we're talking about it this morning. If you wrote something and 3,000 years later, people are talking about what you wrote. You're probably a pretty good writer. But he lived in an oral culture. When I say oral culture, everything was that, that's how you communicate. Everything was done by a man of lips. That's what he's called, a man of lips. He was known as a man of lips. He would be known as a man with a golden tongue. He was able to communicate. That's the culture he lived in. But the Bible says the king Uzziah died. Think about it. When the king Uzziah died, he had been in seclusion for many years. He had leprosy. Everything was falling apart. The culture was falling apart. Society was falling apart. Things were getting bad. It's, you know, it kind of sounds like today, right? Terrible. I mean, everything can go wrong. is going wrong. And Isaiah, some believe that he was probably a very brilliant young man, great godly heritage like this. He's, he's an elite. And the problem with people before Isaiah has this encounter, when you and I, are, whoever we are, we always think we are more than what we really are. We always think the problem with the world, and I won't go into this much, the problem with the world is everyone else but us. And that's probably how he thought. He's a preacher. Um, probably better then. But when he gets in God's presence, he realized, you know what? I read the version. It says, all of the people are unclean, and I'm just one of them. He realizes something. You know what? I, I, I don't measure up. Every, even the best part of me, he says, my tongue. He's flawed. He, he understands. He's selfish. He understands. He is everything he shouldn't be. He is. He sees himself in the right way. You ever look at yourself and realize, God, oh, Lord, I could be so much better than I am? One man said it like this. When Isaiah saw the Lord in his holiness, he saw himself in his sinfulness and the people in their wickedness. When he saw God in his holiness, he saw himself in his hellishness. Then he says, I want you to learn this lesson. You will never see yourself for what you really are until you see God for who he really is. Another man said, there are actually three people sitting in right now in front of you. Or no, three people sitting in your seat right now. Number one, there's a person you hope you are. There's a person that the people think you are. And then there's the person God knows who you are. The great Christian philosopher J.K. Chesterton said this. He wrote to the editor of the London Times. They're asking the question, what's wrong with the world? And he said, oh, you ask what's wrong with the world? He said, it's me, sinful man. <laughs> That's cool, wherever it's coming from, yeah. At least someone's having a party. <laughs> Because when people in the Bible, they get into God's presence, I mean, talking about the reality of God's presence, they don't see themselves the same way they saw them before they get into his presence. Job says this, I've heard of you with my ear, but now I see you with my eyes, and I repent in dust and ashes. 
Job. Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm undone. Peter says to Jesus, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Think about it. When you get in God's presence, I mean God's real presence, everything about ourselves, what we think about ourselves, everything is radically changed. He sees something. You know what? You realize something. Most of us, I'm not going to ask for no confessions, but we probably look evil, little cruel, bad thoughts, unkind, think bad things. How, I mean, we could go on and on. Can we not? More petty, more self-righteous than we like to claim to be. I mean, Job, I mean, Job, Isaiah realizes something here. You look at your life and like that, that thing I just quoted you, they're who you hope to be, and there's who other people think you are. All of us this morning look pretty good. Look holy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> look holy. Love God with all your heart. All? Well, 30, 40%. No, I don't. You know, I mean, just come on. Get close to God, you realize, man, I am pretty messed up. Isaiah says, whoa, 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 is me, man. And I know people would say probably today is, well, you know, what about killing self-esteem, getting God's presence, feel terrible about themselves. Some people that feel terrible about themselves is because they're so self-absorbed. And most people say people that are so self-absorbed feel terrible about themselves. And the best thing you can do is have a vision of something bigger than yourself. But notice what happens when Isaiah is in God's presence. Yeah, for a moment, he has very low self-esteem. He says that, woe is me, I am ruined, one version says. But notice what happens. As soon as he confesses his sins, something happens. The reality of his sin, he confesses. Up till now, we know he hasn't said things like this. Now he's saying some things. There's some things you will say in God's presence you will never say any other time. There's things God will speak to you about in a service that will capture your heart, convict your heart, that... Because it was God in his presence, you'll say things to God at this altar you will say no other time. And that's what he does. But as soon as he confesses, something happens. An angel flies towards him. Verse 6, then one of the angels flew to me. Touch my mouth. He touched my lips. Your guilt has been taken away and your sin has been forgiven. Think about this. When Isaiah saw the angel coming towards him with the fire of God in his hand, you have to understand something, what he was actually thinking. What he was thinking, the fire of God in the Bible, most, not every time, but almost every single time you read about the fire of God in the Bible, it's about judgment and the wrath of God. So when Isaiah makes the confession, woe is me, I'm unclean, I got filthy lips. Everyone around me has got filthy lips. He sees an angel. After he makes the confession, an angel goes to the altar and takes a coal, the Bible says, and the angel's flying towards him with this coal, fire. He's thinking, you know what he's thinking? I'm about ready to be judged. That's what he's thinking. He realized... That he, he knows he's part of the problem human race. What's the problem human race? Me. Like one author said, it's the problem human race to me. He realized something about, <clears throat> he thought he's a goner. It's coming, a fire of God, and you would think, game over. <laughs> I'm done. I mean, here it is. Trust me, if we were Isaiah, you'd done the same thing. You would have said, whoa, he's me too. You would have said, bring it, girl. Bring it, angel. You wouldn't done that. You'd say, I'm, I'm afraid. No, no, the judgment... God's presence, God's holiness, people get into angels, they fall down, let alone God's presence. And he's thinking, the wrath of God's coming towards me. He probably thought, oh, my, I'm not going to say it. He said, oh, game over. And the Bible says the angel touches his lips, touched the very place that was his greatest asset was his lips. The greatest thing you do and the greatest thing you do for me, it's your lips. You know, I know you're an orator and you got the golden tongue. 
But that tongue needs to be touched by God. All of our tongues need to be touched by God. And he touches his tongue, and he probably thought, ah, I don't, you know, I'm, I know I'm exaggerating. <laughs> and Isaiah said, ah, ah, stop. I know he didn't say that, but I would have thought he would. But that's not what happened. As soon as he's touched, he's forgiven. And the Bible says, he says, your guilt is taken away and your sin has been atoned for. Then the voice of the Lord said, who shall I say who will go for us? You think about it. One moment, Isaiah thinks God's against me. He hates me. I'm getting ready to be judged. In fact, I'm getting ready to be wiped out. Go ahead, do your thing, God. And then the next moment, he knows he's loved, he's accepted, he's forgiven, and now he wants to be useful for God. In one moment. And then God says to him, he he hears what's going on. God tells him that I have a new business. He hears heaven talking. Who will go for it? He hears God the Father talking. Maybe the Son, I don't know. But he hears it, and he says, uh, who will go for it? And he says, I'll I'll go. And basically what God is saying is, you know what, Isaiah, I got a a business. He's a venture capitalist. I got a business. I'm involved in saving mankind, and I need some workers. So Isaiah hears the conversation, and Isaiah says something. This is so, so important. And then God tells Isaiah, by the way, Isaiah, I'm going to give you a job to do, and it's going to be actually horrible. You're going to be unsuccessful your entire life. You're going to preach, 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 and no one will listen to you. You'll be totally frustrated. You'll be absolutely ineffective. No one is going to listen. In fact, they will persecute you the rest of your life. And what does Isaiah say? Here am I. Send me. What happened to Isaiah? Well, I say what I said in the very beginning. He allows God to shatter his life completely, and he allows God to put it back together in a new way, and all he cares about is God and God's glory now. Now, listen to me here. Now, at this moment, and all for us, all of us, when our lives have been shattered or shaken by God, selfish shaken, we don't serve God to get things. We already have everything. We allow him to recon- totally reconstruct our entire life is changed. And now it's not about God fitting into our agenda We are fitting into his agenda. In fact, not using him. We allow him to use us now. Because now it's brought to my last point for a few moments called self is shaken. Or shaken for you. It actually should be number four. Shaken for you. That's not the best way to word it. I don't know how else to put it. We're touched by God. And he says... Here am I, send me three things quickly. Give me five more minutes. Actually, I'm good on time. There's three things that happen. I want you to see this. There's being available, dependable, and expectancy. First of all, availability. He says, here am I. And you know what happened to Isaiah is God becomes more real to him than his own needs. You think about it. He becomes totally available for God. I remember the day I got saved, or not the day, the exact day, but I remember saying to God, I was 19 years old. You know, when you're 19, you think you're already old. I remember 19, giving my life to Jesus and saying these words, Jesus, I already lived my entire life, but whatever's left, you can use it for your glory, it's yours. You know, it's only 19, but man, time goes by fast, doesn't it? When we allow God to come in and shake, I mean shake, and and he does what he wants to do, there ought to be this dependent. You know what, God, I make myself available to you, not just the moment you save me, but the rest of my life is being ordered around you and your will. Not about my needs and my wants and my, no, no, it's about you, God. 
And when this comes into us and becomes real, it will, it will be there. It will, it will just be on you. There will be something pressing on you. I call it the weight of God's glory. It's about God pressing on you. And you will know in your heart of hearts, I need to be available for God. Go try to do something else and you spend your time doing anything you want to do. Live any way you want to live. But you if you met God, you'll always have that voice speaking to you. You know you belong to God now. You're not your own. You belong to him. You might as well just make yourself available and say, here am I, Lord. But you won't do that unless you're really shaken. Because if you're not really shaken, you'll be thinking about your needs. Brings me to the next point quickly. Well, actually, the same point. No, second point. Now, I like this part. This is really good here. I find this very interesting because God says to Isaiah, I have a job for you. And what's crazy about it, he tells Isaiah, I have a job for you. And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. He doesn't say, what is the job? And he doesn't say, here I am. Here I am is just a location. When you say, here I am, send me, it's a whole new ballgame. You're not just locating yourself. You're making yourself available and dependable. God says, God says, I got a job. Who's going to go over it? He says, hey, 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 me. Hey, I'm down. Hold on, Isaiah. I didn't tell you what you're going to do yet. didn't matter to him. God was more important than his needs. And then God tells him, these people you're going to preach to, they're not going to want to hear you preach. They're not going to want to hear it, and they're going to tell you they don't want to hear it. And what's going to end up happening down the road, Isaiah, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. They're going to reject you all your entire life. They're going to reject you. They're going to reject me, and finally I'm going to give them what they want. They don't want to hear me? Then guess what? Then you can't hear me. I'll give you what you want. You want to have a hard heart? Go right ahead. You can have a hard heart, and you won't hear from me. That's fine. I'm going to give you what you want. And one of the worst things God can give any man or woman is give you the desires of your own heart. Ruin yourself? Let, let, you, let us do what we want to do, and we'll ruin ourselves without God in our life. And God turns men and women over to their own desires, game over. And he says, Isaiah, your whole life, your whole, it's going to go bad, bad forever, Isaiah. And after he lays out how bad it's going to be for him and the longevity of his ministry, you know what? They're not going to want you. They're going to reject everything you say. You would think Isaiah would say, well, hold on. You know what, Lord? I, 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 can I take back here in my send me? Or can I have a second God? Can I have a second thoughts about it? Or, Lord, you know what? Now you told me how bad the job is. Can you hear my send pastor? Hear my send Nick? Hear my send Vince or send Nick? Hear my send, you know, we always want someone else to be more dedicated, right? No, he doesn't do none of that. This means. Read the book of Isaiah. See, you say, what was the end? What's going to happen in the end? Well, read the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, stay true to the calling. He wrote the book of Isaiah. In other words, he was dependable. And what makes this amazing to me, and I think this fits to our generation, to all of us, he's dependable to God. His needs are not nearly as important as God. I'm not saying he doesn't have needs, but his needs are not as important as God and God's desires were. Because God just told him, you can start the music if you want to. God just told him, the ministry is going to offer you no fulfillment. Listen to this, I'm going to say. You know, today, everyone talks about being fulfilled. Find your fulfillment. People leave marriages, I'm not fulfilled. People leave, they, uh, I, I, find your place. Do the, It's all about us God tells Isaiah your entire life there'll be no personal fulfillment he's okay with that today we want to find fulfillment in anything and everything we do or you know what or else we won't be involved oh really you, you then you're nothing like Isaiah nothing like Isaiah 
No fulfillment. So what do people do? That's why people don't volunteer. Oh, why, why don't you volunteer to do nursery or volunteer to do the kids or volunteer to help with, with whatever the needs are in the church? Why, why, Pat, you know, I'm not really, I don't really feel that nursery thing. I don't feel like that's my calling. I don't feel like I, I've done the baby thing once a couple times with Carmen, and, and I don't, I'm not fulfilled in there. You think she is? And everything's about fulfillment. It's, I'm going to feel, I'm going to sing because I feel, feel so, well, what if you feel nothing? Is God still worth it? Of course he is. And then you give him your best. Hallelujah. Because of who he is and what he's done for your life. Donna, I think two weeks ago, had 19, 17 kids in Thursday service. And I'm sure Donna, found, I know she finds some, some fulfillment in it. And but she pulled out all her hair that she has left. She pulled it all out and she's going crazy. But I'm sure at the end of the service, the church didn't gather around her and go, Yay! All the applaud. Yay! Thank you, Donna. Praise God, Donna. Did Donna, did the church do that Thursday? No. She probably left with a little energy. I mean, went in with a little energy, left like she went to war. And it's so. So, so bad because we're so selfish. If it don't help us and don't fulfill me, then I don't touch it. Okay, I understand that, but what about for God now? Now it's for God. Isn't this a holy area? Isn't this something a little higher than you? Now it's for God. Isn't that different? Shouldn't that push you to say, you know what? I may not do it for myself, but for him, I'm, I'm pushing in. I'm doing it for him. I'll do it. And if Donna didn't come that Thursday, and there was no one else here to do it, all the kids would have been out here. That made a difference. All the time, people teach Sunday school and Sunday nights. I'm sure sometimes it's the last place they want to be. But it's not about personal fulfillment. God says, Isaiah, your whole life, dude, they're not going to want you or your ministry. That's just how it's going to be. So here's what it means to me. If nothing changed, I've said this before, but if nothing else changes from here on out, whatever it is in your life that you want, will you still serve God? I thought to myself, if I never get healed, never get any better, am I willing to live like this and function like this? And I, I have to say yes not easy i'm not saying it's easy but i have to say yes at the end of the day we have to say you know what for him i'm in even with no appreciation lack of appreciation no fulfillment but for him i'm in and if everyone had that attitude that i'm talking about this morning i talked about last week this church there'd be no room in this church Well, Isaiah says, here am I. He didn't say, talk to me next week. Why not live your life around God and his program? Can I say some more? Why not make God number one? What about, I'm all for taking vacations. I'm all for having a great time. Do what you want to do. Mistake I made, I didn't take enough vacations. We took one family vacation in 40 years. That's not good. I admit to anyone, that's not a good thing to do. That's the extreme. I get that. But having said that, when you get ready to make your plans, why don't you find out what's going on in the church first? For your year. Say, so, well, I'm going to be gone here, gone there. Well, why are you going to be gone there? We've got a revival that week. Isn't that important to you? Oh, you know what? That's right. Okay. Me and my wife did that a million times. A million times. That's why we didn't take a vacation for 40 years. It's over the top. Oh, you know, yeah, we, we, oh, they need us. We better be there. Oh, no, but can't say better be there. No, do that. Let's go here. And my wife, over and over again, we're going to do that. No, 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 that. She needs it. I need to talk to her. Over and, but, okay, I'm asking you, what about you? You say, you know, okay, I'm going to take a vacation, but you know what I'm going to do around Nothing's going on in the church. You know, when, when the church doesn't need me that bad. I, we always need each other. I know, but okay, I'm not going to be gone that week. We revival that week. Oh, everyone else, some of the couples are gone. I, I, can't, I can't miss that. I could be, why not that? Am, 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 you guys with me or against me? Or what, what are you at here? It's against the law to stone the pastor. <laughs> Is that asking too much for God? 
And really, why not allow God to take you out of yourself? It's not about you. I so appreciate Nick teaching Sunday school. This morning is like three or four people here, but you would think he was talking to 500 people. What a great job. What a great person. He stands and studies and preaches and teaches. handful of people here, but you would think he's talking to 500 people. Why would he do that? Nick, Nick, why do you do that? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because for God. For God. He says, you know what? For God, I'm going to give God my best regardless of. Sure, he, you know, trust me, he'd love to have this many people in Sunday school. I bet if you, this many showed up next Sunday, he'd teach different. He'd be, oh, oh, be going. <laughs> For God, you know, okay. I appreciate that. The last thing, and this is important, because we know what he says here, and this is why we do what we do. I'm going to close here. He asked God, Isaiah asked, well, how long is it going to be like this, Lord? And the Lord answered, until all the cities are ruined and are emptied. God, how long is it going to be this bad? Basically forever. Then he says this, but he said, there will be a stump of an oak tree that has not been cut down. So what does that mean? The stump represents a new beginning for God's people. And that's what God's saying to Eli- the guy saying to Isaiah. What he's saying to Isaiah, Isaiah, here's the hope. And that's what I call, that's what that is. He says, here's the hope, Isaiah. It's not all in vain. He said, even though a tenth of people might remain in it, once again, everything's going to be burned. A stump, which the tree has been felled, but it's still, there will still be a holy seed. And what he's talking about, even though it looks absolutely terrible, you work and you work regardless of what happens around you. You do it for God in hope and knowledge because you know what? Eventually, everything we do for God, it does pay off. God is saying, Isaiah, you know, it's going to be bad for 30, 40 years, son, but... There's a seed in the stump. All he's saying is there's a hope for the future for the nation of Israel. And no matter what happens for anyone, you spend your whole life just maybe barely getting by. You say, what a failure. Who says you're a failure? Oh, the world may say, oh, you're not rich. You don't have this. Who cares? I mean, so that's the world. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, everything you believe, it will come true. Hallelujah. Not one person here that gives their life to God and surrenders all they can for God and allows God to quake them will regret it when they die. There's always a seed of hope. This, you know what? Always a seed of hope. It won't be in what he's saying. As Isaiah, it's not in vain you doing this. And it's not in vain Nick teaching Sunday school. It's not in vain you teaching back there or doing Sunday school or whatever, children's church or whatever, or me preaching. It's not in vain. Regardless of what happens out here, we do it for him. Doesn't matter who shows or who doesn't show. Who's with the program, who's not with the program. You know what? It's bigger than that. It's about God and his glory. Why don't you bow your head this morning? So Isaiah says, here am I, talking about availability, dependability, and expectancy from God. So a question I ask us again, like I asked us last week, or you can ask yourself, have you been shaken by God and have you been shaken for God? Have you allowed God to break into every area of your life? Do you see, you know what, I'm going to allow him to reschedule, reorder my entire life. I'll allow him to reorder my calling. I'll allow him to reorder my will based on his will. I'm going to allow him to, regardless of anything goes the way I want it to go because it's about you, God. It's about you. And I wonder how many here this morning God's talking to. Some of you, and I don't know who, I'm just talking. The person we hope to be, the person people think we are, then there's the person God knows who we are. There's people here this morning that 
You've heard the voice of God, but you fight against, you fight against him. You fight against surrender. There's others that have, are serving God and you're doing the best you can. And the outlook doesn't look very good. You say, what, what a failure. You're not a failure. You're in Christ. You're not a failure. There's always a seed. You may not see the seed. You may not understand the implications of the seed, what it's going to mean down the road. But trust me, there's always hope in our lives for a better day for every one of us. But for Isaiah, when Isaiah said, here am I, and when, when God laid out his call, he didn't back out. God didn't tell him what the job description was, but still, before he laid out anything, Isaiah said, here am I. Is that our hearts this morning? Are we willing to say, God, here am I? Every head bowed, you're a Christian, God's talking. You raise your hand quickly, just all over this place. I see all these hands. I see all these hands this morning. I see that hand, sister. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not right with God. And you, whatever reason, right now your life is, your world's falling apart. Things are really rough. And you say, you know what, I just, I just want to give my heart right with God this morning, Pastor. I'm not right. Here's my hand. Lift up your hand if that's you. Don't be embarrassed to lift up your hand. Isaiah himself said, woe is me. He saw himself the right way. If you're watching me, you're not right with God, you want to get right with God, you, you say this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins. Come into my life. My life's yours. Let's all stand. These altars are open. Find a place to pray. You know, after Isaiah gets right, he says, God, I'm ruined. I'm unclean lips. Then he heard heaven talk. And he butts in almost the conversation, says, here am I. Here's him talking. Butts in and says, here am I. Send me. You know when God's broken into someone's life because they make themselves available. How can you tell if someone's breaking into someone's life, Pastor? They make themselves available to God regardless. They just say, here am I, Lord. Pastor, anything we do, help the church, help someone, tell them what to do. That's how you know God's, God's broken into someone's, that person's life, God's broken into them. A family, I won't say who they are. We've been praying for for a loved one, a fam, not a loved one, I don't know them that way, but it's a lady, it's her husband, he has cancer. And if I mention it, we went, he went back to the doctor the cancer is all through his body. They thought it was a few places. It's actually a lot worse than they thought. He's about, I think, 50 years old, 55 maybe, getting ready to retire. So he has all this money. You know, they have business to take the money. They had all these plans. They could plan to do something. The doctor said, you got four months to live. She said, we'll sell the business, go see his family, and then say goodbye, I guess, Pastor. Four months. She goes, we never saw that coming. No one does. I hate to end it like that, but I don't say that just to say it. That's the reality of this world that we live in. If we're going to do what we're going to do for God, we better do it now. And, and I'm really, I don't think I said it the right way. What I'm saying, really, I'm trying to say is give God your best. Don't give God the rest. You give them the leftovers of your lot of time. Leftovers of your mind. Don't give them your leftovers. Give them your best. Give the world your leftovers. You have time. If you, have, you don't have time to come to church, then you're too busy. You can't come to church, you're too busy. If you're watching me, is it still being filmed? No? Oh, shucks. I'll get them next week. <laughs> if you can't come to church, you're too busy. If you used to be more dedicated, if you look back at your life, there's a moment in your life you're more dedicated to God than you are now. You need, you need to check yourself and make some changes. As you get older in Christ, you shouldn't become less of a Christian. You should become more of a Christian. More dedicated, more surrendered, more willing, more available. Only God knows how much time we have.
I'm glad it's not being filmed. See who's here. Last, I won't tell you. I won't even tell you what day it is. I went out to my car. Someone I was talking to. Everyone is gone. It's the last one to leave. And um, and I was talking to someone, and they said, "Yeah, this guy's getting ready to come and kill me." And we were just talking, and no one was here. It was just me and this person. He said, "Yeah," and the guy he's talking about, he's a crazy. This ain't just talk. It was real. He said, "This guy, they got his face. He, he, he says he's coming right now to blow me away." He's telling me that. I'm being a brave man. I said, well, I'm out of here. <laughs> I said, you can blow you away. I said, that's, just, that's on you. <laughs> I, said, uh, I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, well, you better go hide yourself. I'm taking off. And I, really, I said that because I said that in that service, I said, we never know. And I thought if I'd have walked out, I, I'm thank God nothing happened. I, I, you never, I never imagined that conversation. The guy he's talking about has a pulled gun on his head already. He's a crazy gang guy. Killed people, he's murdered people. I was already pulled the gun on this guy. He said, He's coming to shoot me right here. I'm thinking, if he, I said, He's coming right now. He said, Right now. So, right now, he's right now. I said, This conversation is over. Whoa, got my truck and bam, gone. Why did you say that? Because anything could have happened. The guy could have came, showed up with a gun, and me there. The guy's crazy, shoot me too. Senseless. Our lives today, man, it's so fragile. If there's ever a time to put your life, the little we have, put it in the hands of God, it's today, man. If there's ever a time, it's, it's today, it's now. Put your life in the hands of God. So God, it's yours, man. You work it out. I'm yours.